It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Guess what? <laughs> Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 591 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, October the 28th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network if you have any sort of appetite for daily sports content. Man, do we ever have you covered on the NBA side. We've got the national shows. We've got the Duncan and Hollinger national show that comes out on Mondays. We've got Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko with Projecting the Screen two days a week. We've got the Locked On NBA show daily still. And we also have all the local shows, so make sure you're doing that. Fantasy is also covered. we got a bunch of hockey shows on the run right now. Make sure you're finding a show corresponding to the teams that you like across the Lockdown Podcast Network. And then if you like one of those shows, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever it is to get your podcast. It's very much appreciated if you do that. All right, on today's show... Just a heads up, I uh, am not feeling so hot. I'm, it's a Vicks Vapor Rub kind of weekend for me, unfortunately. I think it's actually going to hold me out of being able to go and cover the Terry Bowl tonight between the Raptors and Magic, which is a big bummer because of, you know, my friends Terrence and Terrence playing each other, but uh, I don't want to be that guy who's going to get people sick at the game. So apologies if I'm a little laboring on this episode, but I wanted to get you an episode. I didn't want to go quiet today because the Raptors had a back-to-back and two-thirds of their games so far this season happened over the weekend and we have yet to cover them. So I wanted to get an episode out today. So just... Bear with me if I sound a little bit uh, terrible, because boy, do I feel it. Anyway, the Raptors on Friday beat the Boston, or sorry, lost to the Boston Celtics 112-106 before crushing the Chicago Bulls 108-84 on the second half of the back-to-back. This will be just sort of a traditional three-segment type of show. We'll go through the Celtics game in the first segment, Bulls in the second, and then I got a couple mailbag questions to close it out, sort of tied to both of the games. So that'll be how we tie the two together at the end, and we'll get you off and set for the Raptors and Magic tonight. Uh, But first, let's get to that Celtics game, the 112-106 loss to Boston on Friday night. This was a fun game. Like, I watched this, uh, you know, I was at a dinner with my uh, fiancé's parents. We were hanging out. It was nice and chill. And then I became a big stress ball uh, for the first time all season uh, watching the Raptors play. And it was kind of felt good to get back to the feeling of having a ball of lead in your stomach, even though it's just the second game of the season. Playing the Celtics, that stupid Celtics crowd, it always makes you feel a little bit more angsty about a loss. And so I was rooting pretty hard for the Raptors to pull this one out. 
Ultimately, they did not, but there was still a lot of fun stuff from this game that, you know, made it worthwhile. I think the number one thing was Kyle Lowry sort of doing the vintage Kyle Lowry fuck you game type of thing. He had 29 points, 4 boards, 7 assists, 11 of 18, he was 6 of 10 from downtown. He looked incredible, and to see him do that, I don't know if we've seen a Kyle Lowry FU game like that since, like, maybe 2017. He's taken a step back a couple years in a row now, first to sort of facilitate the culture reset, and then to just sort of get out of Kawhi's way and become more of a playmaker. And he can't really afford to do that this year, and the result is we get to bask in the glow of a white-hot Kyle Lowry deciding to take over a game while also worrying for his well-being every time he hits the deck. And that's going to be the balance of this season, right? Is can Kyle scale up his usage from the 19% or so it was last season, maintain that efficiency, and also not burn himself out? Because that has been the problem for Kyle Lowry in the past, if you think back to when his sort of reputation as a playoff player began, which again, not entirely earned or fair, but you know those times where he has been not so hot in the playoffs were times when he really burnt himself out. And I think the Raptors really have to avoid getting into a situation like it was to put the 2014-15 team where DeMar goes down, misses 20 games, Kyle carries the team through that stretch and they're great. And then he just burns out and is completely a shell of himself by the postseason. He played 40 minutes against the Celtics uh, on Friday night after the 45 in the season opener. Nicely scaled down to about 34 against the Bulls. But even if they can pare that down even a little bit more, I think that's going to be uh, a nice way for Nick Nurse to ensure Kyle Lowry doesn't go and kill himself because that's the thing with Kyle is he's always going to go balls to the wall. You have to ensure he's not going to actively like hurt himself you got to protect him from himself because he's never going to scale it back when he's on the floor so I think just limiting the minutes and the time within which he can do damage to himself is probably the best way to go with him and so it'll be nice I think once a, a rotation is settled upon once Patrick McCaw comes back as well and he can operate as another ball handler for the team as much as that's not uh, that desirable because he's not especially good at it I think once he's back, that will help limit the minutes load for Kyle. And, you know, especially as they go along here too, and and Pascal gets a little bit more comfortable with the ball. He's been a bit turnover prone right now. So that point guard thing is not exactly working out for Pascal with the bench players. But um, maybe there are some ways here as the rotation gets more fleshed out as Nick Nurse tries more guys, as we'll get to, uh, and some guys pop a little bit. You know, maybe there's an opportunity here to sort of get Kyle back to around the 30, 31, 32 minute mark, which I think is where you want to have him at his age uh, to ensure he doesn't burn down over the course of the season because he is still as great as Pascal Siakam is. Kyle Lowry is still the most important player on the team, and that will be so until it's not. And ensuring that that uh, tailing off comes later rather than sooner, I think is going to be paramount for Nick Nurse as the season goes along here, and hopefully the first couple games where he reached 40 minutes are just a blip on the radar. Uh, Other stuff from the game against the Celtics, I guess the negative stuff, the defensive rebounding was god-awful. 21 offensive rebounds allowed to the Celtics, and this was a game in which Enos Cantor didn't even play, and that's sort of the thing about Enos Cantor is he's this great offensive rebounder. You have to be worried about him at all times. He crashes the offensive glass in a way most players in the NBA don't nowadays in 2019, and it still didn't matter. They absolutely crushed the Raptors on the offensive glass. Grant Williams had six offensive boards himself, three from four of the starters, uh, Tice, Tatum, Hayward, Walker. Uh, They just completely bludgeoned the Raptors on the defensive glass, and you can't have that. I mean, this game, it's a borderline miracle the Raptors were even in it until crunch time. Uh, you know, some bad turnovers late, a bad turnover by Kyle late, and some lack of execution down the stretch cost them the game, but they were in it until the final minute. 
and they were outshot just in terms of attempts 109 to 78 in this game and it's just the math is never going to work out for you as much as the Raptors were great from downtown they were 18 to 36 as much as they uh, you know won the free throw battle by a couple as much as they won the the, the field goal shooting battle they just they're never ever you're never going to win a game like that you just can't the math is insurmountable when you give up 31 extra attempts and that was a combination of the 21 offensive boards and then 23 turnovers to just nine committed by the Celtics I mean that's that's untenable and so the fact that they were in this game I guess is a borderline sort of miracle and also a bit of a silver lining I suppose that they were able to overcome that with their good shooting but and also their defense I guess you know the thing about the Raptors this was the case last season as well when their defensive rebounding wasn't always amazing at least until uh, they got Marcus Gasol in the lineup when it kind of improved the you know the defense is good enough that even if they're giving up extra chances they're going to force misses on a lot of those chances but you can't play that game 21 different times because eventually just bunnies are going to be had by the other team and it's going to be easy for them to rack up points so that is something for sure that the Raptors have to tidy up how they do that I'm not sure maybe they play less zone you know that was I think an issue that happened and I think Jack Armstrong remarked upon this during the game the Raptors were playing a zone for a bit of that game and when it happened you know you're not really boxing out the same way you typically would when you're playing man and that leads the ball to just sort of fall into the soft spots sometimes and the Raptors weren't really equipped for that uh Marcus Saul looks slow getting to balls he had himself another rough game just 0 of 8 um we'll get to Gasol in a bit I suppose but you know, this isn't a team that is loaded with huge size, right? Unless they're playing those big lineups, which they haven't done much outside of a couple minutes against the Pelicans on the opening night. You know, unless they're playing that Gasol, Abaka, Siakam, one, two, th- or sorry, three, four, five, you're just going to kind of be over overmatched size-wise a lot with this Raptors team. Um, you know, Siakam's a good rebounder, but other than that, no one's really that great. Kyle's very good, but you can't be relying on a six-footer to be your, like, second or third best rebounder. You have to get a little bit more from your wings in particular, and OG's never been a great rebounder. Norman Powell's never been a great rebounder. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, again, a six-footer, you can only rely on him for so much, and it just... They need more from the bigs. They need more from Gasol. They need Ibaka to be absolutely dogged when he's out there. And, you know, to his credit, he had eight defensive rebounds in the game on Friday. So that's good in his 24 minutes. That helped clean it up a little bit, I suppose. But um, just you can't be getting killed like that. And I don't know what the way around it is other than get different personnel. There's not someone on the team that you can sort of play more in order to get more rebounding on the floor, I don't think. Like, you can play those big lineups. Maybe Terrence Davis, you get him a little bit more at the two or whatever because he's a pretty good rebounder. He likes to jump in for those Terrence Ross-style rebounds uh, uncontested. But uh, there's just not a lot in the way of personnel just sort of lingering on the roster. You can't throw, like, a Boban out there. Uh, Like, some teams, if you have a Boban on your team, you can just go and, and... vacuum up boards for you Um, and the way the Raptors play I mean you don't really want to have a couple of hulking bigs out there like they're pretty well set up for how they want to play offense and how they want to run the floor with their personnel and I guess that's the trade-off you have to have that sort of fast-paced style with you know more sort of playmaking on the wings I mean I guess that's the the trade-off but I don't know it's something they'll have to work on for sure maybe it's just a matter of just trying harder at boxing out asking Siakam to take on a bigger burden there and that's ultimately a good thing because when Siakam boards he's usually taking it himself and causing havoc when he goes the other way so maybe it's just a, a thing where you ask him to do that a little bit more and ask him to leak out less and grab boards more often I'm not really sure it's 
It's tough. It might just, it's reductive. It just might just be a matter of trying harder, and maybe that only has its limits in terms of how effective it can be, but uh, there's not exactly personnel that they can swap in. You know, Chris Boucher is not coming in to vacuum up boards, and so it might just be a matter of just, like, more attention to detail in terms of boxing out and grabbing boards, and they just live with being a below-average rebounding team, and hopefully their defense can make that so it's not like a death knell or anything like that, like it did last season. I think it's still possible to maintain their defensive integrity while also maybe not being so great on the defensive glass. Uh, other things from the game, I mean, the turnovers, 23 turnovers, you can't have that either. Pascal Siakam had five of them. OG uh, had a couple. Gasol had a few. I mean, everyone in the, in the starting five had at least two. Kyle and Van Vliet as well, a little bit turnover prone. I'm not worried about Kyle or Fred because they're very steady typically, and they don't tend to turn the ball over all that much. I think... Pascal's turnovers are definitely something to keep an eye on. He had five in the Friday game and then uh, four on Saturday against the Bulls. So he had nine turnovers to seven assists over the weekend. I think, look, this is all part of the growing pains with Pascal, right? And we're going to get to this in the second segment when we talk about the Bulls game. You know, if that is sort of the lingering sort of thing about his game that is... Uh, detracting from what he's doing, I think that can be cleaned up, and all the other sort of signs right now are really, really encouraging, uh, aside from a couple things here and there, but the turnovers are definitely the number one issue, but if he's going to be canning five of seven threes from above the break, and, you know, being an absolute monster offensively, then I think he'll probably take those turnovers, and hopefully those gradually sort of decrease over the season. I would expect that'll be the case. I think as he gets more comfortable in his role as the number one guy and as he's done experimenting and is just more sort of going into the routine of things, I think he'll tend to be a little bit more safe with the ball. And I think we even saw signs of that in the Saturday game. So uh, let's get to that game. The Celtics game was fun. You know, there was, you know, I wish I could be more upset about it. I know a loss to the Celtics is a bummer, but ultimately... You know, they fell victim to some hot Kemba Walker shooting in the fourth quarter. Their defense was overall pretty good against Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum. I thought uh, OG did a pretty good job against Tatum when he was on him. Pascal did as well. You know, they they defended mostly well all night. They held the Celtics to just 38% from the field. There was just too many shots allowed, and that's part of defense, obviously. But, you know, there were some good signs there. And ultimately, not like a crushing loss or anything like that. Shit happens. Kemba Walker sometimes has a terrible first three quarters and has a great fourth quarter. That's just kind of the deal. And so, uh, bummer of a loss to the Celtics, but ultimately not anything to be too, too upset about. And we move on to the game against the Bulls. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So the Bulls game, the Raptors win 108-84, second night of the back-to-back against the Bulls. The Bulls were also on a second night of a back-to-back, but... Uh, I thought this was a really sort of clinical and impressive win for the Raptors. You know, it was a little bit ragged in the first half. The offense wasn't super clicking, but their defense was excellent and kind of held the Bulls back. And, And the Bulls, I expected more from them, to be honest. I thought they, you know, with this healthy roster, and maybe this is just a matter of the very cool Jim Boylan actually not being a very good coach, but they have a lot of dudes. Their starting five is really impressive to me and should have been capable 
of a lot more than they were against the Raptors. You know, Wendell Carter Jr. led the team with 12 points on the night. Uh, he was sort of the one guy who could exploit the Raptors' bad defensive rebounding, get five offensive boards himself. Uh, he looked pretty good, but other than that, pretty disappointing across the board. No one really popped. Zach Levine just 4 of 13. Lowry Markkinen just 3 of 10. Otto Porter just 2 of 7. And Kobe White coming off the bench after looking amazing for his first couple of games, averaging 21 points a game, came in and just shot 3 of 14. And I thought the Raptors' defense was excellent. Their transition defense in particular was really, really good. And it was kind of forced to be because they gave up another 22 turnovers in this game. Uh, a really sort of shaky performance from that angle, but they were able to sort of get back in transition and really sort of snuff out anything the Bulls were trying to do. Once again, the Raptors get absolutely killed in terms of shot attempts. They got outshot 97 to 82 in this game, but they held the Bulls to just 29.9% from the floor. They gave up only seven fast break points of this entire game, and where you give up that many uh, turnovers like th that seems almost impossible but it happened uh just 15 total points off their 22 turnovers so they didn't get burned by it and yeah some of that was poor bulls execution but again i thought the raptors are really good at getting back in particular og ananobi i mean he's the story of the game i guess we have to get to og at 17 points in this game but more so in terms of things that were impressive were the four blocks he had all of them were very loud all of them were at the rim all of them were completely without doubt uh all ball and just like very demoralizing a lot of the time uh and a lot of them were also in transition and sort of on the run and in spots where the raptors were pretty vulnerable and og came over to bail them out and i mean this is what og's sort of peak can be right he was a really good defender in college was a really good defender his first season last season kind of fell off a little bit as he dealt with all the injuries but this was just like uh, a way more bouncy and spry version of og that we've ever seen and he also looks so comfortable offensively right now he looks really at ease when he takes his threes he was three six from downtown in this game he looks really eager to sort of do the norm powell thing where the ball swings to him and he's able to drive he had a couple dunks that way uh and seems pretty comfortable sort of driving in from either corner and making things happen that way whether it's uh you know getting his own buckets or doing little dump off passes a couple times he screened in this game and was the screener and made a couple plays in four on threes as the bulls were insanely aggressive like playoff level aggressive in terms of trapping the the ball handler in the pick and roll and you know the first half it was not so swell because marcus Gasol was not really feeling himself at all and you know while he was a plus 26 in this game really kind of struggled when he was sort of asked to roll into space he couldn't even make himself a target for the guards to get the ball to him same happened with a ball he wasn't terribly good as a playmaker in this game, but once they switched in the second half over to having Siakam and OG be the screeners, I mean, that opened things up for the Raptors a ton, and the ball movement in the second half was beautiful, and OG was a big part of that. He made a couple of great plays on that dive, uh, sort of finding guys cutting up the baseline, and I thought it was really impressive, and stuff that we haven't really seen him be asked to do before. He also looks like a really good screener. He's just so thick, I don't know how he couldn't be a good screener, uh, and that's a big important thing, because like Gasol and Ibaka are good screeners, if illegal screeners sometimes. Siakam is not a great screener right now. He's a little bit sort of 
quick to slip it and doesn't really set it all that hard. OG is just so thick, he has to set good screens just by default. And, you know, maybe that's a way to sort of grease the wheels a little bit and liven things up while also sort of spreading the floor as best as possible. You could have, you know, Lowry run a pick and roll with OG and you still have Gasol or Ibaka and Siakam and Fred Van Vliet sort of dotting the floor. And OG in the starting five may be considered the worst shooter of the bunch. And so... If that's the case, why not have him be the screener, have him make those plays going downhill, and then you could really open things up, I think, with that starting five in particular. Uh, that was a nice little thing that they flashed a couple times in the, in the second half of the game that I uh, hope we get to see a little bit more going forward. Uh, Siakam was also really, really good in those situations, too, and we'll get to Siakam's second half in particular in a second, but uh, OG deserves a lot of praise. He was great, and... If he can be this sort of defensive monster where it's not just the on-ball stuff where he's taken the best player on the other team, like a Zach Levine or you know whoever it's going to be, Otto Porter in this case, uh, and shutting them down, if he can also sort of throw in some of those highlight defensive plays that really sort of swing games and possessions, that, like, A, amps up his ability to potentially make an all-defense case. I think it's pretty clear already that he's probably the best defender in this starting five for the Raptors. Um, maybe not the same upside that Siakam has, but Siakam's just not going to have the energy, I think, or the wherewithal to really flash that upside all that often. So OG is going to have a lot of those defensive burdens, I think, put on him. And if he can do that, I mean, it just sort of changes the way this team looks because Siakam doesn't have to be totally burdened guarding the best player on other teams. You can kind of get away with having the smaller backcourt if OG can clean up some of those messes elsewhere. Uh, This is a really encouraging sort of sign for what OG can be as more than just an on-ball defensive presence and just sort of as a guy who can be everywhere on the floor at once and sort of make up a defensive identity unto himself. So that was encouraging. Obviously, you don't want to put too much into one game with a high block total, but uh, he looks really, really good right now. And he's been, I think so far, maybe the most consistently, I mean, Kyle Lowry's been amazing, but the most consistently impressive Raptor so far in terms of you know, expectations coming in versus what he's done so far. I think he's been really, really steady, and it's been really great to see because last season was such a downer for him, and there was so much hope and expectation going into the year. Uh, If he can do what he's done through three games, I mean, that is just a damn good player who every single team in the league is after a kind of guy like that, and the Raptors might have one uh, just sort of hanging there who maybe sort of seemed like he was out of the running to be a guy like that after the season he had last season. Um, also in this game against the Bulls, uh, as we talked about, Pascal Siakam, I thought he had a really, really nice game. Just 19 points for him, his lowest total of the season so far, but it was a lot more controlled, I thought, and, you know, this was statistically maybe his least impressive game. He was just 7-15, uh, he had four turnovers to just four assists, uh, didn't do much in the defensive end, he had six boards, was a plus 22 though, and was really big in that second half as they pulled away, and I just really loved what I saw from him in the second half, it was just... You get this thing with with Siakam sometimes where it just seems like he's a computer learning on the fly and as he learns things that's just embedded into sort of hardware going forward and I thought this was a really great sequence of you know like two quarters I guess for him as he sort of learned the ropes as this number one guy, we saw him work on the role. As we mentioned with with OG, they did the same thing with Pascal to open things up in the second half, and the Bulls were very slow to adjust, and boy, were they ever punished for it because Pascal just picked them apart. 
as he became the the screener and the, and the guy on the roll who was just getting those four on threes and just eviscerating whatever Bulls defense was left behind that. And, you know, so that was really encouraging. In the first half, he threw a couple gorgeous passes. Uh, one was to Matt Thomas from the uh, left post all the way to the right corner. Absolutely just like perfect vision and great delivery right into the shooter's pocket. That's the kind of stuff that I think we're going to see Pascal figure out more and more as he learns to deal with all the attention going his way. And I think as the season goes on, we'll see a lot of those turnovers replaced with beautiful assists like that. As he figures out the right angles and, and whatnot to, to attack from, uh, I think that's something we'll see as the season goes along here. And then in that second half, we also saw like a really terrifying couple flashes from Pascal where he, uh, there was one, I think it was like a catch and shoot 18 footer he drained, uh, which was like, oh, that's nice to see 18 feet. We don't see usually from the middle level all that often in terms of Pascal's shot chart. And then the next possession down, it just seemed like he was kind of testing the stovetop a little bit, seeing, all right, what can I do here? And he kind of dribbled to the exact same spot from which he hit the first shot and then pulled up and, and just canned one. And it was like, oh, okay, I guess he can do that now too. And like, look, that's not something he's flashed a ton regularly. There was a little bit in the finals last year that made you dream a little bit. Uh, and obviously there was a lot of talk about him doing it in the preseason, but this was the first time we've really seen it in game where where he was able to get to his spot in that second level and just like pull up naturally and not feel like it was forced. It just felt like the natural progression of the possession as the defense funneled him there. And it looked really smooth and it reminded me of what we saw on Friday night when he hit those five threes from above the break, which must have been a career high in terms of above the break threes. Uh, and as he was doing it, it just seemed like he was getting a little bit more confident, just sort of seeing what he could do, sort of testing the limits of, you know, his range and whatnot. And it really kind of felt like, you know, in like a superhero movie where like Spider-Man first gets his powers and he's kind of figuring out how they all work. And sometimes he's going to fall off a building, but a lot of the times he's going to like throw the, the web at the right building and swing properly and it's going to look great. That was kind of the vibe I was getting from Pascal in both of these games, as he was testing out new things and seeing just how far he could take them. And that, you know, that's encouraging and kind of scary if you're someone thinking about trying to guard Pascal, because as he adds these other elements to his game, he's going to become that much more difficult to stop and sort of sell out to stop him in the areas where he's really damn good, which is around the basket. I mean, his post-up game has already come leaps and bounds over the, like from last year, this season, as he's testing things out, you know, some things go wrong here and there, but again, he seems to learn every time something goes poorly and has, you know, six, seven different counters to throw the next time down. And it's all very, very encouraging for Pascal. And think about this. So he's played three games. He's averaging 29, 11, and 4 on just shy of 60% true shooting, which is excellent. And he's hitting 47% of his threes. Again, three games, tiny, tiny sample, whatever. But he hasn't really played a good game yet. He's been pretty bad for the majority of all three games. He's had maybe like four or five good quarters at the very most. He struggled with foul trouble, which is concerning, but I think probably something he can hone in a little bit. Um, that's been sort of the, the big drawback with his defense is I think he's kind of been a little bit lazy at times, and that's led to picking up some fouls. His offensive fouls as well, you know, he's going to pick those up. He's got the ball in his hands a lot. He's in a sort of high traffic area a lot with his posts ups, and I think as he sort of refines his game, that'll be trimmed down too, but that's something to keep an eye on as well because if he's not on the floor, that's not helping anybody, obviously. 
I mean, he only had two personal fouls in the Boston game. They both came in the first quarter, but uh, you know, getting that early foul trouble always sort of puts a little bit pre- a little bit of pressure on the uh, on the coach to sort of either ride with you or change up your uh, rotations. And with Pascal being so important to the Raptors, I think it is kind of always going to be more of a side of caution type of thing with Nick Nurse. If, if Pascal picks up those two early fouls, I don't think he's really established the same sort of trust that, say, Kyle Lowry has where, you know, he can pick up those fouls and then not really be worried about in terms of, is he going to go pick up his third in short order? I think, you know, he's got to sort of work on that trust a little bit with Nick Nurse, and that's fine. So between the foul trouble and the turnovers, I think Siakam really has not been excellent, and still, those numbers are just staggering across the board, and maybe we underestimated sort of the upside of what Pascal could be doing this season as the number one guy. I mean, you know, it's so hard to expect such a huge leap from what he was last year, but maybe this is just what he is. He really seems to fall into his points so easily. You know, even against the Bulls, he wasn't great in the first half. I think he had like six points through the first half. Then the third quarter comes around, and it just seems like every possession, he's just walking into buckets. And, you know, this was a game where he didn't even get to the line all that much. He only got there four times, which uh, seems a little bit low for him at this point. He's been getting to the line a ton in the preseason, got, a line, got to the line 11 times in the opener, six times on Friday. And so I think that's going to continue to be a pretty strong suit for him as well as getting to the line. And that's only going to further expand his efficiency. And I just, maybe we totally underestimated what he's going to be. And it's really exciting. And honestly, I just find myself looking forward to watching every single game just to see what Pascal could do. He, he's, this is the joy of this season where the stakes are low. It doesn't matter a whole lot. And you can sort of look ahead to each game sort of just like imagining what Pascal is going to do individually and sort of thinking about what he does in each game and what it means for what he could be down the line and what it means for what the Raptors future is down the line. That's the joy of this year. And, uh, I've, I've really, really dug it the first few games, and I think it's going to continue. Why, why wouldn't it? He's clearly very, very talented and seems to be just figuring out exactly what all of his talent means and what it can do for him. Uh, one last note of the Bulls game, Serge Ibaka. Holy God, he's been awesome. I, I can't speak highly enough of Serge Ibaka through three games. He was great against Boston as well, 5-5 five of five in that game. Uh, their best defensive rebounder in that one, I think, by far, had 13 points there. 18 points against the Bulls. Excellent on the roll. Very eager to take that bread and butter sort of mid-range jump shot for him in the pick and pop as well. Uh, it's just, just I love Serge Ibaka. He's been excellent, and it's been really, really cool to see him uh, get off to such a great start. And, you know, we saw this last year as well. We, you know, we, we saw last season with the start, we kind of were hesitant to buy in a little bit, I think, because of how sort of ungodly hot it seemed. And look, he's not going to shoot 5 of 5 or 8 of 12 every single night out, but uh, the, there's he, he's put into a situation a lot, especially playing with Kyle Lowry, where he's getting those buckets without having to do too much work on his own. He's, you know, finding the soft spot on the roll. He's finding the soft spot in the dunker spot, waiting for dump-off passes from guys who are driving. He's finding those pick-and-pop jumpers. And that's just stuff he's really good at. And if he's sticking with in what is good for him, I, there's no reason he can't maintain a pretty high level of efficiency. And uh, it's really good to see. And I wonder... Considering how Serge has looked so far, how good he's looked, and how poor Marcus Gasol has looked, and how just sort of ragged and tired he looks, I wonder if we'll see a change in the starting five at all. You know, Gasol still played more minutes than Ibaka did in the last game, uh, and I wonder if maybe we see that switch at any point here. Even just as a way to get Gasol fewer minutes, just play him like 15 to 20 for a couple games here to let him get his feet wet, but... Uh, Ibaka looks like he's very much deserving of more minutes, whether it's off the bench or as a starter. And, uh, you know, we closed the game against the Celtics.
Celtics for much of that, I believe, in crunch time, too. And it was deserved. He deserved to be out there. And he's been awesome so far. And I, uh, I, I look forward to watching him play more because, man, he's, he's, he's kicking ass right now. And he's super fun. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner. And Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's wrap things up here by getting to a couple mailbag questions that address sort of a couple themes uh, from both of the games that I haven't quite hit on just yet from the Boston and Chicago matchups. Uh, so first one here is from Anthony Doyle. Why is Stanley Johnson? I don't know why Stanley Johnson is anything. Uh, he seems to be in the rotation. He got his first run against Boston on Friday, just five minutes for him there. And then he picked up a, how many, just five minutes again. So he's only been on the floor a lot less than I think maybe his number of, uh, big mistakes is sort of, made it seem in our minds. He's only played 10 minutes so far, but he's not been good at all. He's been really, really rough. He had three turnovers in five minutes of the game against the Celtics. He hit one shot, sort of a bailout shot. Sorry, this was against the Bulls, uh, the three turnovers. He hit one shot sort of at the buzzer, a bit of a bailout. That was cool, I guess. But man, he looks really, really rough. I know he hit a three in the game against the Celtics, but he just doesn't seem to really know what he's doing out there. He doesn't it, it just, it, it baffles me because he's had good coaches. Like, I know the Pistons were disappointing. I understand Van Gundy, but, like, Stan Van Gundy's a good coach. He had Dwayne Casey. He had Alvin Gentry. Like, these are good coaches he's had. He just seems like he's never been coached a day in his life. And I don't really know what the solution is there. Like, maybe he's just not coachable. Maybe he's just not meant to be an NBA player. It just, it feels like it really is not looking up for Stanley Johnson here. And the first couple chances he's gotten at cracking the rotation really have not gone well. And, you know, as Patrick McCaw and Ronda Hellish Jefferson, who got into four minutes against the Bulls, as those guys get back, it's just going to further push Stanley Johnson down the line. It seems like Terrence Davis is pretty much in the rotation now, whether it's for, you know, nine to 10 minutes, nine to 15 minutes, something like that. Like he seems like he's not going to play a ton, but he'll be in there to sort of fill in those soft spots, hopefully trim some minutes off of Kyle Lowry. And then after that, like McCaw's going to get in there, you would assume. And then Matt Thomas, who uh, another question came in from JD Carante, why is Nurse keeping the secret weapon Matt Thomas secret? He's not anymore, man. He came out uh, against the Bulls, hit two threes, was a plus 18, and made some good defensive plays too. He had one steal. He broke up a play uh, where he made a really nice read to sort of pop a, an entry pass away from the big, and it, it looked like he was trying out there. And, and hey, you know we know Matt Thomas is not going to be an amazing defender, but it, it looked at least like he was doing his damn best to stay where he could and stay up with guys and be in position and not just totally be a sieve out there. And if you can hide him on the worst offensive player on the other team, that's probably going to be enough against a team like the Bulls to make it worth having him out there because his shooting is great. He had the two threes that he hit, uh, both very pure and good looking and not at all surprising considering his reputation. Uh, and, you know, he had a couple nice passes as well. 
they asked him to do that a bit in the preseason as well. You saw him run a couple pick and rolls and whatnot, and he seems to have a bit of a feel for passing. I don't know if you want to have Matt Thomas playmaking for you because it probably means something has gone wrong somewhere in a possession, but uh, it's nice to see that he has that in his bag a little bit, and he's got good vision, and like he just seems like a smart player. And so I think Matt Thomas, just with his you know, 20 minutes against the Bulls, probably has already leapfrogged Stanley Johnson in the rotation, and I think that's a good thing because of the two skills that both really sort of you know, have in spades, Stanley Johnson's defense, A, hasn't really been brought to the forefront yet. I haven't seen him make like a great defensive play or anything like that. And he is, his shooting is so, so bad that I think Matt Thomas's shooting versus his bad defense just kind of outweighs Johnson in terms of what skill they need on the floor, even if his defense is not good. Like, there's no reason he can't be like a C.J. Miles stand-in. C.J. Miles' defense was no great shakes either when he was out there, but his spacing was so valuable to those bench mobs that were so, so good, at least in 2017-18. Miles was pretty awful last year, but uh, I think Thomas, you know, can be sort of a similar player with sort of a pure stroke. And I think with that game against the Bulls, there's no reason to believe that he won't be ahead of Stanley Johnson in the rotation going forward here. And I think that's probably the best way to go about it because Stanley Johnson has been miserable through a couple games and I continue to be very, very out on that whole experience. And I, I think Matt Thomas has cemented himself as one of the top 10 or 11 guys now, which is nice. And it's kind of, you know, it's encouraging that, you know, it seems like Nurse is just trying around and seeing who fits and who does what, but it's also a bit of an indictment on the team's depth that, you know, Matt Thomas can very quickly, with one good game and one defensive play, become a rotation player, and it does speak to how necessary it is for the top seven guys to, to stay healthy. I think Vivek Jacob tweeted this when Pascal Siakam went down with sort of a rolled ankle in the game against the Bulls, which looked bad for a second, and then he walked it off, and it was great, um, but... You know, if any of the top seven guys go down, the depth really falls off for this team. And, you know, that's to be expected when you lose Kawhi and Danny Green and no one else has really sort of grabbed the bull by the horns, so to speak, and become a very clear, obvious, reliable rotation player. Um, but, you know, th that's the lot they're given this season. That's just how it's going to be. And it's nice to see Matt Thomas at least took advantage of the opportunity and looks uh, pretty good. So that's cool. That's going to do it for today's show. My voice is about to fall apart, and so I appreciate you putting up with uh, whatever this thing was. It's very scraggly, very all over the place. My brain isn't exactly functioning at a high level right now, but I appreciate you sticking around anyway. And we'll be back again on Tuesday with a recap of the Magic game. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, the Magic are weird. Markel Fultz looks pretty good so far uh, through the first couple games of the season, and we get to see Terrence Ross again, which is great. So keep an eye out for that, and that'll be up Tuesday morning sometime. Uh, whether we have a guest or not, I'm not sure yet. We'll keep an eye out there. But until then, please subscribe, rate, and review uh, this podcast and all the other Locked On Podcast Network offerings, hockey, baseball, football, basketball, all the stuff. We got you covered, so please do that. And uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you on Tuesday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.